Welcome to another episode of Facts as we're jumping into the book of 3rd John today. We were going to do 2nd and 3rd John together as I explained in the last podcast that that was not going to work because there was too much information I wanted to deal with when it came to 2nd John particularly and, and, and I'm trying to keep our programs under an hour and I was able to do that under 50 minutes. So if you missed that one, make sure you go back. But these are kind of a part one, part two of the same concept and notes and same research that I've done. Kind of as a way of review, looking at 2 John particularly. 2 John was a letter dedicated to an elect lady. And, and we kind of discussed that for a while, how I actually think it's a particular name, not just a general name for a lady, but actually a woman's specific name. And uh, Kyria is the name that <clears throat> we designated to her. We actually called the podcast after her name. And if you missed that episode, I want you to go back. It, but at the same time, let me give you a, a quick review of what's going on there. We talked about the differences between 1 John and 2 John. Because everybody wants to talk about the similarities, and I'm fine with that. Mills pointed out that multitudes of words, including up to eight verses, are the same and can be found in 1 John that are in 2 John. Eight out of 13. That's a lot. But what's not talked about is that there's complete differences, too, in addition to that. We talked about how there's an introduction with a greeting. There's a salutation at the end. You have an individual named, whether you believe that's the, the church as a whole or a specific church, or as I do, a, a specific woman and her children in a situation, whichever view you believe, he addresses a person and he calls himself not by a name in a specific way, but kind of hinting at himself as the elder. He doesn't say John the elder. He just says the elder. But that still sets it apart from 1 John. 1 John has no introduction, no salutation. It is no way and shape the same way as the second, and even as we're going to see today, the third letter in the same way starting out or ending. 1 John comes out the gates firing. Ends with, keep yourself from idols. Second John ends with, I, I want to write less and talk more. So I'm not going to write more to you at this time. I'm going to wait till I talk to you face to face. And then he greets them with her, her sister's children. They greet you at the very end. But he also starts out with the grace and peace situation. He gives a... A salutation, very similar to Paul. So there's something different, though the same. And we talked about how that could be the case. And I think the key goes back to the fact that this is an apostolic group connected in the Asia Minor region to John's apostolic ministry. We've overemphasized, I think, the Gospel of John podcast that I did, the making of John's Gospel. So once again, I'll throw it out there. Please go back and watch and listen to that. If you haven't, the Gospel of John and 1 John were written from a group. The us, the we, the our that is involved in the prologue 
and the epilogue and John's gospel going into the introduction there in first John that goes without a name and salutation, but does have an audience in mind. It's a plural audience. Uh, we have seen, we have touched the word of life. Then it goes into our joy being full, which I talked about last week, connecting to the intercessory prayer of Jesus in John 17. They were remembering that intercessory prayer on behalf. We look at the us and our and second John, same phrase, our joy being full, is reminded to this woman who apparently has some children that are still walking in the truth, and John ran into them. But apparently docetism, or the earliest evidence of docetism, had made itself into her home and had affected her and some of her children. And it seems like, and this is where I landed uh, with Second John, it seems like Second John is actually the first letter. It is a personal letter. First John is a letter that would have been sent with Second John, one to this lady to help her in a situation with her hospitality towards people and travelers and preachers, and the fact that he had ran into some of her children, and that some of her children were walking in truth, and it appears perhaps that some were not. They maybe fell for these preachers that were coming into her house, and they were teaching Jesus did not come into the flesh. He was not incarnate. He seems upset about this situation, and it's possible. It is possible that Second John is the personal letter, and First John is the corporate letter, and that is why there is no group name listed for an audience. And he does not mention his name. He just sends it from the group to the church and this dear lady who per perhaps housed a church. Uh, we don't know. But it seems like that the group of John, which we've talked about before, would have consisted potentially of three additional characters, minimal being Aristion and John the Elder that Papias had mentioned, all being a part of that Johannine group. And then we talked about how even Andrew was alive uh, during the writing of John's gospel. So perhaps he's involved. So this group is an apostolic group. But perhaps Second John was written by not John the Apostle, but John the Elder under John the Apostle's apostolic group, Authority. And he is the penman to this. And perhaps he was the penman to First John, but was writing more so on the group, whereas this lady is a close friend to his, and John permit, gave him permission to write to her. Perhaps that's the same thing that we're going to see happen here in Third John. Now, just as a way of review about Second and Third John together and its canonical standing in the churches, it was assumed in the Muratorian fragment that John wrote an epistle and a gospel. But it also said that there were in his epistles, plural, John expressing himself. So it doesn't say two or three or four or five or six. It just says epistles. So there was some assumption there. We talked about Irenaeus quoting from 2 John, uh, Polycarp quoting from 2 John. But Clement of Alexandria appeared to have written a commentary of both 2nd and 3rd John because he wrote them of all the Catholic epistles. And we, we also talked about how that's kind of misleading. 
uh, that they're called Catholic epistles, as if they're corporate, well-rounded, well-distributed texts. But second and third John are kind of misplaced if they're personal epistles, because they're not written Catholic like first John. They are individual, personal. So I always found that kind of odd, but nonetheless, they're a part of the Catholic epistles. And what we know uh, from Eusebius and Photius that that Clement of Alexandria had written commentaries over all of the Catholic epistles. So that would include second and third John. Origen had mentioned how John had left epistle of very few lines and then perhaps even a second and a third. But he said some, and I always want to emphasize the some did not consider them genuine. He didn't say whether or not he agreed or whether or not that was the major consensus that he had recognized either in Alexandria or in Caesarea, but rather that it was limited in its lines. Though 1 John was very few, 2 John contained less than 100 lines. So his statement was, is, is people struggled with this on the basis of its, of its small lettering, its lines and its size. And, and the thing is that that does make it harder to trace. There's less content. There's less things going on around landmarks, people, locations, information that's being distributed that could reflect a certain time frame. It does make it harder to date and it does make it harder to trace. So there seems to be some contention about 2nd and 3rd John. 1st John not contend. It's always connected to the gospel writer. 2nd and 3rd John were disputed, and again, by some. And Eusebius even made the point that many did receive these. So there are statements of contesting about this. But it wasn't a majority. It was a small pocket. And it's a reasonable... Um, conclusion to say, I'm concerned about some of the differences here. We have this, we know it's from John, but this one is a little bit different. You have this elder guy and he's addressing individuals by name, which he doesn't do in first John. I liked what Dionysius of Alexandria had to say. And as a way of review, I'm going to read the statement of Dionysius. He said, but John never speaks as if referring to himself. That's the standard or as if referring to another person. But the author of the apocalypse does. He introduces himself at the very beginning, which we've talked about that. And then you can go back and watch our video on whether it was spurious or scripture, the book of Revelation. It's in the podcast list as well. But neither, he says, is reputed second or third epistle of John, though they are very short, does not the name or does the name John appear? But there is written the anonymous phrase, the elder. But this author does not consider it sufficient to give his name once and to proceed with his work. But I am of the opinion that there were many with the same name of the apostle John, who, on the account of their love for him and because they admired and emulated him, and desired to be loved by the Lord the way he was loved, took to themselves the same surname, as many of the children of the faithful are called Peter or Paul. But I think he was some other one of those, being one of those Johns in Asia. And they say there are two monuments in Ephesus, each bearing the name of John, 
which Jerome picks up on as well, and Eusebius does as well. There were two monuments, two tombs set aside, if you would, for John. And Dionysius is saying, I am of the persuasion that a different John wrote these two letters. Now, we know from Papias that there were two Johns, it seems like. He is saying, now some would say, oh no, they're the same John. He's just giving different descriptive names. I, I don't think so. I think they're different. I think he's insinuating that they are different. Even Bauckham in his work on Jesus and the Eyewitnesses goes to great depths to explain why th they are different. And, and, and I couldn't agree with him more. But when you're dealing with John, there were apparently two Johns in the group. And Papias said that John the Elder and Aristion were a part of the eyewitnesses that were actually with Jesus. That would mean they were probably a part of the 70 or 72, depending on your manuscript, 70 or 72 that were sent out two by two by Jesus in Luke's gospel. So the fact that there were two Jameses and two Simons and two Judases, if you have 70 men in Palestinian areas, I would not be shocked if Jesus had a couple of Johns. We saw there were other Johns anyway. John the Baptist. Then you have John the Apostle. So to have another John in the group would not have shocked me. But what I'm seeing is, is that there does appear to be some consistency when we take the, the puzzle pieces of Jerome that we went over and Eusebius that we went over and, and repeating Dionysius. We're bringing these pieces together. They're all saying there are two tombs in Ephesus. There are two burial plots for John's. In the same region. And then you bring Papias in. He's saying, yeah, they're two Johns, both eyewitnesses. And they're in the same group of traveling companions. So John was with John. John the Elder was with John the Apostle. John the Apostle would have been the highest authority of that group. And anything that is being sent would have been from that group. John wrote his gospel from that group. Wrote the first epistle from that group. We saw second John. From the group, our joy may be full. You're going to see in 3 John, the us and the our again. And explicitly mentioning a plural authority. Though John is writing this letter, there's a plural authority on the scene. In the beginning here, he introduces himself once more as the elder. To this time, the beloved Gaius. Now, I think that 2nd and 1st John were probably written around the same time. And I told you, I think that the elect lady, Kyria's children, delivered the letter back to the churches. I think they were the carriers of 1st and 2nd John. 3rd John would have probably been written near the same time, but it, it it's separate. I don't think it would have been transferred and transmitted at the same time as 1st and 2nd John. And I think the carriers are different, and I'm going to mention them in a minute. Apparently in this church that the apostolic group had worked with, there is a man of great importance. He seems to have housed a lot of traveling preachers. He was a friend of the apostolic group. He knew them by name. They knew him by name. Again, it's clear. These are not anonymous letters to the recipient, nor is there an anonymous audience to the writer. He has specific people in mind, specific location in mind, and they have a specific group and writer in mind. 
So when he says the elder, they instantly knew who that is. And he's writing to a beloved man, a man who is loved by this group. Not so much because he was special amongst all, but the writer is saying he's beloved by others, but I love him in the truth. We have this unbreakable bond of connection of truth. The truth we learn from Jesus, he has believed. We are united in that truth. Therefore, our joy is full, as he said, of Curia and her children who were walking in truth, because the bond of truth that began with the Father was shared with the Son in at the beginning and before creation, was brought into the world through the incarnation, shared amongst the eyewitnesses, believed on by those who never met Jesus, that truth from the Father to the Son to the apostles to the audience are all unifying. And it creates an environment and community of love. Love is founded. Biblical Christian love is founded first in truth. Love does not ignore truth. Love does not expel truth. We do not love people in jeopardizing truth. Why I love them too much to tell them that. No, no, no. If you love them, you tell them the truth. Because love cannot be founded without truth, without a basis. And then he repeats again in verse 2 his title of beloved to him. He was praying for this man to prosper in health in the same way his soul is prospering in truth. Now, whether or not Gaius had health issues, we don't know. And we really don't know which Gaius this is. There are multiple Gaiuses, three to four possibly in Scripture. There is a Gaius in Macedonia who is a traveler with Paul who is unfortunately seized by those in Ephesus. This being in Ephesus perhaps is possible to be that Gaius in Acts 19, which is around 55 AD. There was also another Gaius in Derby, or an epithet which some transferred to Timothy, but either way, he accompanied Paul in his last journey in Jerusalem around the same timeline in Acts 20. There's also another Gaius in Corinth that Paul lodged with uh, in whose house the Christians were accustomed to assemble in. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, it's also mentioned in Romans 16. Again, around the same time, it's not far off from that time in the Acts timeline, around 55, 56 AD. He was perhaps the same one that is in 3 John. And the reason some would say that is because he was a housing Christians in his, in his home. Now, I, that was a common practice of any Christian, so it doesn't automatically make it this Gaius. I am interested in the fellow traveler who was seized in Ephesus. But again, he was seized in Ephesus, but he was from Macedonia. So it's probably not him either. I don't know if the Gaius in any of Paul's journeys would still be alive in this journey. It's possible. Could have been a young man in his 20s. Now in his 40s or 40 years later, he's, he's 60 or 70 years old. 
And that's possibly why the elder was writing to him and praying for his health, that it would prosper. I mean, there's a possibility of that. If I had to conclude it was one of the Gaiuses, it would be more so the one in Romans 16 and 1 Corinthians 1 because he was known for housing Christians. But we don't know. But it is interesting there are different ones in this book, in the in this book compared to the other books with Paul's journeys. But he's praying for his health. He's praying that he would prosper in health the way that his soul prospers. And then he talked about how he found he was still walking in truth. And it brought no greater joy to him than to hear that his children walk in truth. And I just explained why that's the case. And then he talked about the reports that were brought back to them from these brothers, these brothers, that he was hospitable to strangers, these, these traveling preachers he didn't even know, but yet he showed them great level of hospitality. And the whole church knows of his reputation. And he's encouraging him, look, send them out the way God himself would send them. These traveling companions, these people of truth, when they come to you, continue to show this hospitality. Send them out the way God himself would send them out. Then he says he wrote to the church. So there was another letter that had come to the church there before. We don't have this letter. Before this letter was sent. But one of the leaders... His name is Diotrephes. He wanted to have the preeminence among the people. The idea of preeminence there is to be number one. He wanted to be the highest authority. And the way that is proved is in the next phrase. He says, he does not receive us. We wrote a letter to the church, but he didn't share that letter with the church. So one of the reasons he's writing to Gaius is because they can't, they cannot get a message to the church. But note again, an individual is writing this letter. He said, I wrote to the church, singular. But he does not receive us. Not just not just the writer, but the apostolic group. Therefore, he says, if I come, I'm going to bring back to memory all the things that he did. He was prating against, catch it, us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So here's the brethren. The brethren are apparently the carriers of the letter. Apparently they carried two letters in total. People from the us group, the apostolic group of John, took a letter to the church. Diotrephes refused not just the letter and not just the authority in the letter, but the messengers of the letter carrying it for the authorities. This is a red flag to everybody in the area. He states of this man, that he rejected apostolic authority. This is the first evidence we have of the Johannine group rejecting 
explicit instructions from the apostles. And John the elder tells this man, his deeds will not go undealt with. We are coming. We will say something. I will confront him to the face. Do not imitate that which is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, who does evil is of God, insinuating that Diotrephes is of the evil. Don't emulate that. Superiority is not the way of the church. Bringing people into subjection to your leadership by force and threats and imitating technique is not the way of the Christian church. Not even the apostles treated people that way in their authority. They entreated people. Think about Paul to Philemon. He said, look, I could command this of you, but I'd rather entreat you as a brother. Do the right thing. That's how a true apostle acted. So what do you do in the meantime? The church is being terrorized by this hierarchy that's starting to build within diatrophies. They can't get a letter to the church. They can't get messengers to the church. They're being rejected. And notice again, it's all in the plural. It's that Johannan group. So he recommends sending another person by name that they should receive and start following his leadership. He's not saying there shouldn't be leaders in the church. He sends them another leader, recommends another leader. But note this, the writer again is writing in the plural. He says, Demetrius has a good testimony from everybody. And from, more importantly, the truth itself. And we also bear witness. And you know that our testimony is true. Here's what John the Elder is saying. Look, Demetrius needs to be followed at this point. We can't get a letter in. We're sending a letter to you to, to, to get to people because you house all these Christians. Apparently, Gaius is very important in housing perhaps a church. He's saying, look, the church... Corporately, we can't get word to them. So we're coming to you. I'm sending the messengers back, these brethren. Sending them back with this letter. We're recommending Demetrius because everybody knows he's a truthful man. Everybody in the church knows him. We approve him. We bear witness. And you know our testimony of people is true. He says, but look, I, I got a lot of things I want to write to you. I'm just, I just can't, I'm not going to do it with pen and ink. Same thing you told the elect lady. I want to do it shortly, face to face. And then he ends the book with peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So he's sending these companions again. These are known people to anonymous names. The friends are anonymous, but they're known by name. The church knows the friends. The friends know the church. The names are known amongst themselves. This is not an anonymous book. Although it appears anonymous, it's assumed knowledge. The writer, the recipient, the travelers, the brothers, the friends, they all know each other. Demetrius is mentioned. 
They all know each other. So when you're getting into a book like this, we talked about the historicity of these things. The language, the writer being the same as Second John would place it around the same timeline. I don't think they were sent together the way First and Second John perhaps were, but it would have been around the same timeline. The language, the layout, the problems, they're the same. So the writer would have been writing on that half of that same group, which is again from the same location, same timeline, somewhere in Asia Minor, around the 90s. These are important details that in a difficult book that is very hard to locate, finding out where does it land. Now let's talk about the authorship for a minute, uh, not in the sense of the us, our, we group. We've already talked about that being the Johannine. But this letter has apostolic authority in it. It was already rejected once as apostolic. Apparently a letter was written. If this letter is apostolic in authority, creating things like a recommendation of Demetrius, um, giving instructions to a guy on how to deal with a leader in the church that's out of control like Diotrephes. With all that, with all that, we would be unwise as Christians to reject a letter like 3 John as an apostolic letter because we would be no different than Diotrephes. Because the same group that wrote to the church where Diotrephes was a leader is the same group writing this epistle. It is a Johannine group epistle. Do I think the apostle is the penman? No, I think the John the Elder, the other eyewitnesses. But it's under John the Apostle's group of apostolic authorities. John, the apostle being the head of that, he was, after all, one of the 12. And more importantly, within that, he's one of the last surviving. And he was also one of the three that was with Jesus. And he was not just with Jesus. He was the beloved disciple who is now calling people beloved. I find it ironic. This term shows up over and over. The beloved Gaius, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you prosper. He repeats the idea of beloved again. Again, in verse number 11. Beloved, do not imitate which is evil. <laughs> the writer is writing on half of an apostolic group from the beloved disciple. See, the idea of our joy being full, and, and, and this is where I want to go back to Dionysius. He said something. He said something that I don't want to miss. Back in the middle of his paragraph, he said, neither is the reputed second and third epistle of John, though they are very short, does the name of John appear? It doesn't. He's right. Just the elder. 
But this author did not consider it sufficient to give his name once to proceed with his work. But I am of the opinion that there were many with the same name of the Apostle John who on their account of love for him, because they am, am, admired and emulated him and desired to be loved by the Lord as he was, took to themselves the surname John. Now, I don't think Dionysius is 100% accurate in the John the Elder guy. I don't think he like adopted John the Apostle's name. And I don't know if that's the point he's making as much as there are lots of people who did this. They took on Apostles' names. But the reason that John wanted, the reason that John's name was wanting to be attached to people's new names, giving themselves surnames, is because of the beloved relationship between the Lord and John. They wanted to experience that connection. It's ironic that the book of 2nd and 3rd John emphasize the love that's connected through truth, which I've already pointed out when I stated the phrase, our joy would be full. Going back to John 17, John 14. Again, if you missed that, go back to last week's episode on 2nd John, the epistle to the elect Kyria. I explain that more in depth. Binding to this love connection, the Johannine group, specifically from John the Apostle, is teaching the churches that the love connection of John to Jesus is shared by all when everyone comes to believe the truth of Jesus. And that joy is experienced when that, that connection of love and truth are found. The reason for the consistency of the term beloved to Gaius is because Gaius has experienced that same connection John had with Jesus. The emulating that, that, that Dionysius is saying, people want to connect to this. And John is teaching in his epistles that you can. You can experience that. You can have the title beloved. And here, he is beloved by a group of apostles, which would have been the group that Dionysius saying is, there were people that wanted to emulate this relationship and they took on surnames. It's interesting that in the gospel of John, John is the disciple who Jesus loved. In his epistles, under his authority, it's the church members who owe obey the truth and love the truth that are the beloved. The writer does not call himself the beloved disciple. That's how he's referred to in John's gospel. 
But as he has grown in his ministry, John began to realize that term given to him was never meant to be kept to himself, but that others should experience that same belovedness. And the way to do that is when people abide in truth, live and love the truth, they are now connected to the same source that caused John to be the beloved disciple. This is how we can love Jesus. This is how we can be connected back to what Jesus taught in John 14 and John 17. And how he interceded for us in his high priestly prayer. That we would believe the words of them, the disciples. And join in joy. And join in the truth. And join in the love fest. That began with the Father and the Son before creation. Was experienced by the apostles in the ministry of Jesus. And has now been experienced by us because we are connected through the same thread of truth that began with the Father and Son before the world. Folks, this is the point of what John is teaching and why he is so viciously against the Gnostic groups who deny the incarnation, deny Jesus in the flesh, because it jeopardizes the whole system of love and truth that began with the Father and Son before creation that could only be experienced in the person, physical body of Jesus that he claimed he felt with his hands, heard with his ears, saw with his eyes the word of life. And if that's false, if what they touched wasn't a man, saw and heard was a man and it wasn't God in the flesh, then there is no true joy and truth to be experienced in this life that God provides for humans because God gave that relational joy, truth, and peace and love that was experienced before creation. He brought it into the world through the incarnation. And that is the only way we can know God. It's through him, through the incarnate word, the Logos, Jesus. And if we don't have that, folks, if we don't have that, we have nothing. We don't know who God is. That's why he says things like in First John, whoever doesn't love doesn't know God. For God is love. Well, how, how do we know how to love? The same way God loved us. How, how, how did God show his love toward us? By giving us his son who gave himself as a, as a sacrifice for us. We know God's love because we know the son, but we haven't met the son, Stephen. We don't. That's why the son gave his teachings and his ministry over to the apostles and prayed on behalf of them that they would have the spirit in John 14 to bring to remembrance the things they heard and saw. And then interceded for them in the high priestly prayer in John 17, that those that would believe their words which are actually his words, which are actually the father's words, would experience joy. That is why John later on is angry with Diotrephes and angry with these Gnostics 
because it's robbing people of experiencing the thing Jesus prayed for in John 17 and promised in John 14 by the Spirit. And because of that connectivity between 2 John and 3 John and even 1 John, as we've already gone over, back to John 17 and 14, these texts are connected to the truth, which means these are the words of God. And they're being rehashed and repeated and refreshed in a small epistle form here, which is good reason for me to accept this as apostolic authority and from God himself. Because it has that chain of custody, that unbroken thread that's continuing from John 14 to this very passage. Yes, I believe they're inspired. I believe this text belongs in the canon. I know it was disputed. I understand why it was disputed, but it was only some who disputed it. And I think the main reason is, is because there's two different signees, if you would, the signatures of no signature to a signature of the elder. And I think if we can understand there were two Johns, a part of the same group in the same area, and there were two tombs and two uh, you know, memorials to them, we have no problem accepting the fact that John the Apostle was a group gospel. His gospel is a group gospel. His epistle was a group epistle. And that it's very possible that this John the Elder that Papias mentioned is the penman on behalf of this group. That's what I think happened here. Well, thank you for tuning in. We're going to continue to go through the New Testament. We're, we're working through. We're almost done with the New Testament. We've more than two thirds, I believe, of the way, because we're going to do some of Paul's epistles together, the undisputed ones. But thank you again for tuning in and, and uh, the audience has been growing and there's been a lot of conversation about the podcast and, and, and I'm praying that the Lord would use these podcasts in a short time to really minister to people who struggle with canon, who struggle with how do we know we have the word of God? And if you've missed others and this is the first one you've been able to tune in, we've done the gospels, we've done Acts, we've done Romans, we've done the pastorals, we've now done 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation, we've done Jude, we've done James, we've done 1st and 2nd Peter. We've done a large portion of the New Testament and we've even done Isaiah and we're going to continue to do Old Testament passages and Old Testament books. We're going to do all of it. Go through the podcast, go back and listen to some of these podcasts and I pray the Lord will bless you and give clarity. We're a part of Explore Christianity. We have a website, explorechristianity.net. You can go on there. You can actually email us if you have questions. You can see a lot of our debates. You can see a lot of our literature that we have published. We're a group of apologists who are publishing on multiple levels of the area of apologetics. This just so happens to be my niche, canon and text fathers and apocryphal works, things like that. So I enjoy doing that, but we do have more to offer you and you're available to find you. It's available to be found on explorechristianity.net. You can find an email there. If you have questions, you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're also on Instagram and uh, you can find us there. Reach out to us there. See our literature there as well. Thanks again for tuning into this podcast. Grace and